Okay, we're calling it uh, Experiencing the Spirit in Ephesians. When I say we, uh, I um, <clears throat> sort of pulled John Mark in there, and I do miss him, and I hope that you do too, but um, he's not here. So, but we're talking about the unity of the Spirit tonight, and this flows directly, not only theologically, but also uh, through the narrative of the epistle, flows from what we talked about last night. So, it is connected. The unity of the Spirit is something that is not tangential. It is essential to the gospel message. And I want to stress that the gospel is the gospel of reconciliation, or it's no gospel at all. And Paul calls it the gospel of reconciliation. Reconciliation is just one of those words that we throw around sometimes, but what it means is to bring back together. Isn't that what it means? Hello. This is the audience participation part. That's what it means. It means to bring back together something that has been broken apart. That's what it means. It means to reunify. It means unity. So the gospel of reconciliation is the gospel of unity. So uh, we're going to begin by just saying where the Spirit is. Where the Spirit is, there is going to be shalom, there's going to be love, there's going to be unity. So I just want to trace this out just a little bit, going to give you some texts, because <clears throat> Paul is constantly drawing from the Hebrew Bible, and we're going to see this in Ephesians tonight. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, as Paul says, <clears throat> man, what in the world is going on here? Okay. <clears throat> Hold on a second. Well, I don't even know what's going on with my slideshow here. Hey, this is Dana. She's going to fix it for me. I don't know if I'll be able to do that. But. <clears throat> well, at any rate, <clears throat> okay. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, if you just put it on that slide, that'll work. You know, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's actually something missing from there. But in Ezekiel chapter 37, there's this wonderful vision about bones. How many people remember that? The bones, bones are part of a body. You remember that? Bones are part of a body. And Don just talked about a body, and Paul talks about a body. That's perfect. That'll work. And I, but there is something missing here. I don't know where it went. <clears throat> but uh, at any rate, so Paul, Paul, I can't, if, Ezekiel's not Paul. Ezekiel sees this dead body, this dead scattered across the, the valley, disintegrated dead body of God's people. And the Spirit comes and raises them from the dead. 
He speaks to the wind and it brings the body and the parts back together, the hip bone to the leg bone. Y'all remember all that, you know, and, and uses some interesting language that shows up in the book of Ephesians, like ligaments and knitted together and all of that. And so the spirit comes and raises this dead body, which is the symbol of God's people, raises that body from the dead. They could do nothing. Israel was dead. And God says, I'm not going to let that be the end of the story of my people. And he's not going to let that be the end of the story of his world either. And so he raises Israel. And you will recall in Ephesians that the Gentiles are now part of Israel. You remember that from last night? The, the Gentiles are part of Israel. They are united in Ezekiel chapter 37, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom has already been destroyed and carried away. And Ezekiel is given two broken sticks and he reconciles them. One is for the northern kingdom, one's for the southern kingdom. They are a disunited people of God, a fractured people of God, a broken people of God. And the spirit, after they're raised from the dead, unites them. And then after they are raised from the dead and they are united, they are filled with the Spirit. And when they're filled with the Spirit, Yahweh says, I will make a covenant of shalom peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will bless them and multiply them. You recognize that from the creation narrative. We sort of talked a little bit about that last night. This takes the, the renewed Israel, the new people raised from the dead people of God, are reconnected with the original creation. You will be fruitful and multiply, because now you're living as God intended you to be. And you're filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Spirit of life. And he says, I will, then he says, I will set my sanctuary. Remember last night, Ephesians chapter 2, we are made into a dwelling place, the temple. This is what that sanctuary is. I will put my temple, my sanctuary will be among them forever, my dwelling. Paul says in that Ephesians 2, 21 says, we are made a dwelling out of the Spirit. Remember that last night? He says, my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then, notice that then, after God has done all this stuff, this is, this is pure, unadulterated grace. Those of us who were raised at the Hebrew Bible is this law stuff and, and graceless stuff simply have never read it. He says, then the nations. And Paul has an apostolic mission to the nations. Okay, as we're going to see. The nations shall know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I make you holy. I make you into saints. Now, this is, this is a big deal, okay? And in fact, Ezekiel chapter 36 and chapter 37 are very important for the book of Ephesians. So, uh, Paul says, carrying on this shalom stuff, where the Spirit of the Lord is, may the God of hope fill 
all of you, this is plural, 87% of the time in the epistles when you see the word you in our English New Testaments is the word y'all. Okay? It is plural. Now, if you read the text in Spanish, you already know that. Us English folks, we are deprived of that. May the God of hope fill all of y'all, all y'all, with all joy and peace, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. God promised through Ezekiel that He is going to raise the people from the dead, unite them, fill them with the Spirit, and a covenant of peace will prevail. And Paul says, it's happened. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the, we have shalom, not only with one, not only with God, that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and we've been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. But we don't have that just with God. The narrative doesn't start in Romans 5. It continues on, and Paul deals with our interpersonal relations between Jews and Gentiles in the book of Romans and says, we have shalom. And so, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Shalom. Where the Spirit of God is, there are going to be certain characteristics. Shalom is one of the primary ones. So sometimes when we're looking in our churches and we see a bunch of us just at each other's throat over the most minuscule things, we have to ask ourselves, why? Because where the Spirit is, peace will be. And then, I, I chose this one on purpose. The, the Psalms of Ascent begin with Psalm 120 and go to Psalm 134. And it goes through a progression. And in Jesus' day, when you go into the temple, you, you go from the court of women and you go to the court of Israel. And there's 15 steps. There's 15 Psalms of Ascent. And as you go on each step from the court of women into the court of Israel, the Levites are standing there and they are singing each of the Psalms of Ascent. And it's as if with each step you're getting closer to the Holy of Holies. Okay? So symbolically, you're actually going in this direction towards the dwelling place of God. And with each one... You, you go through this narrative where you're, pre you're praying for, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord hadn't been our side, the enemy would have prevailed and we would have died. And then in Psalm 121 it says, man alive, the, who is the keeper of Israel? If you're, you were just about to slip, God is the one who would rescue you. And then all of a sudden it says, blessed is he who prays for the peace of Israel. And then through five times going through the Psalms of Ascent, you have this stuff about peace. And on the second to the last step, Psalm 133, it says how blessed it is that God's people dwell together in what? 
unity. The closer you get to the presence of God, the closer you get to one another. And then, Psalm 134, as you're on the top, it says, Come, let us bless the Lord together. And it invites people into the presence of the Lord. So, shalom, shalom. When you're in the presence of God, unity will be there. Shalom. So, unity is the purpose of God. God created the world as a place, as we saw last night, for humans and deity. You're all creation to dwell together in one place. God, Father, Son, Spirit are eternal. They lived in this community for all eternity before Genesis 1-1. They did not need the world, did they? They, they didn't need the world. Who did? We did. Okay? So, again, if you ask an Israelite in 1000 B.C. or 700 B.C., and they say, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know that Yahweh loves you? There's not an Israelite on the planet who wouldn't answer that question immediately. And they would say, well, Psalm 136. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars. How do I know that God loves me? God made the world. And then they would go over to Psalm 33, verses 4 and 5, where it says that the creation of the world is an act of hesed, steadfast love. And not only is it an act of hesed, it is an act of justice, because God put us in there. And then the Israelite would go through the rest of Psalm 136 and say, how do I know that God loves me? Not only did he create the world, he, he redeemed us from the house of slavery by letting us go from the Egyptians. But the first part of that is God made the world and he put us in it. That's how I know he loves us. So when you see that sun and the moon and the stars, you know, and it says in Psalm 119, and it says not 119, but 19, that the heavens are declaring the praise of our king. You remember that? What is that praise? What is that glory? What is that? It's the love of God. Hesed is as far as it is infinite. Psalm 103, it says, as high as the, as the sky, the heavens above us, is what it says. Wow. So, Ephesians comes along after we have messed the world up. We got kicked out of God's presence, out of that original temple. Jesus came, as we saw last night. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. His purpose was to gather together all things... In Christ Jesus, who's the king, to make them one. We split the world apart. God sent Christ to bring creation back together. Now, what do we call that? Reconciliation. Heaven and earth are now one. The temple has been brought back together. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. And when we go to the next phase, and we talked about this a little bit last night, if, if heaven and earth have been brought together through the blood of Jesus, that cultic act of worship that we talked about last night, then Ephesians 2 tells us that humanity, the people who live within that temple, are reconciled, 
They are brought together. They are made one. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, that humans and humans, in the first one, heaven and earth are reconciled through the king. Humans and humans, Gentiles and Jews, those who are far away, those who are near, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. And his purpose, and he uses that same phrase again, his purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two. It's as if God is making the world all over again. God has already made a humanity, but humanity messed up the temple. But now God has recreated heaven and earth in Christ and brought them together. And as a result, we have a new humanity. The hostility that is this racial, ethnic, sexist, all kinds of ways of treating one another that are totally unhealthy and evil. And they shatter God's shalom. Christ brings them together. And remember that covenant of shalom from Ezekiel chapter 37. Now Paul actually refers to Isaiah 52, but he uses that word four times here. Jesus came and He preached peace to you who were far away. He came and He preached peace to those of us who are near. He abolished the wall of the, the hostility. He put it to death between us, thus proclaiming peace. Jesus is our peace, He says. Four times He tells us, Shalom has come. And the shalom in Ezekiel, Ephesians chapter 2 is between humans. Chapter 1 if we want to think about it this way, Ephesians chapter 1 deals with Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. This, this separation between God and humans that has been vandalized by our sin. God has sent the new man, Jesus Christ, into the world, and He has reunited that. He's healed the breach between us and Him. And then Genesis chapter 3, again, starting around verse 14 and go all the way to chapter 11, is just this one sad, sordid tale of how humans can't stand one another. Cain and Abel, you all ever heard of that? Lamech, you ever heard of that? And then on and on, the blood of the ground. The ground is just, just crying out. And every human's very thought is just nothing but violence. Violence towards who? One another. That sounds like today, doesn't it? And so, in Ephesians chapter 2, we have the healing of the world from Genesis 3 through 11. That's the whole human history right there. So, unity is vertically. Unity through the blood of Jesus is horizontally proclaimed. And then finally, in the last chapter... Uh, second to the last chapter of Ephesians. There's two rules for reading the Bible. And they are context and context. Okay? And I, I, this, I'm a Campbellite. Okay? I insist on this. We sometimes make the Bible say whatever we want it to say to support our sectarian position, sometimes our sexist position. 
One of the most abused passages in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 5 when it talks about husbands and wives. But you go through there and you're reading it, reading it, and reading it. And all of a sudden, Paul just simply says, I'm not even talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about relationships in the church. Doesn't he say that? He says that point blank. What happened in Ephesians chapter 5 is that you have oneness, oneness, oneness. Heaven and earth come together. Humans and humans racially come together. Humans come together as the original couple in Ephesians chapter 5. And they are proclaimed one flesh. There's no longer any division between heaven and earth. There's no longer any divisions between white and black. And there's no longer any division between male and female in Ephesians 5. They have become one flesh. And he quotes Genesis chapter 2 for that. I'm not talking about marriage. I am talking about a profound mystery, which is the church. Isn't that what he says? So unity is something that God has done through Christ's sacrificial death in the temple, empowered by the Holy Spirit to make oneness between heaven and earth, humans and humans, and male and female the fall, if you want to call it that, has been undone through Christ in the temple. Who is the temple? Us. Those things do not reign in our church. There is no division between us and God in the church. There is no division between us, white and black, Red and yellow in the church. There is no division between us, male and female, in the church. And Paul's already said this in many other places. If you are in Christ, in the very text that was quoted tonight by Don, he says, you know, if you've been baptized in that one spirit, there's no longer barbarian or Scythian, Jew or Greek. Didn't he say that? Those are all things. And then he says, there's no slave nor free. Didn't he say that? Because inside the church, there is a new creation. You are the new humanity. God made the world again inside the church. And that includes male and female. Because the fall, if you want to call it that, didn't just mess up my personal relationship with God. The fall messed up my relationship with every human being on the planet. And the fall also messed up every relationship between men and women from beginning to now. And God has healed it through the king. And the spirit is the one who has made it reality inside the temple. So, unity is the purpose of the gospel. 
So those of us who have grown up and said, well, unity is something that would be nice and all that kind of jazz, it ain't nice. It is the gospel. God sent Christ to reconcile creation to himself. That is the purpose of it. And Paul continues on this, this, this temple stuff. And I and again, temple, that, that's the Old Testament version of what we call the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God dwelling with His people. This, this present stuff is all over the Old Testament. It's like, so where, where the temple is, that's the realm of the Spirit. God is dwelling in the temple. This is the realm. This is, this is where the air is. Okay? And where that Spirit is, what? There is shalom. There is life. Inside that temple, there is the original creation. That's as we saw last night. That's why you have the Garden of Eden stuff. God's sacred space has not been touched by our sin. And God in His grace has put that back in the world so that we wouldn't forget what it looks like. Okay? And we are living by faith. Now, we're, we're going to, I call it practicing resurrection. We are already raised from the dead in anticipation of the literal resurrection from the dead where God is going to make the world where our faith shall be sighted. Isn't that what... The, it says, and so it goes on and it says, the Spirit is the key to living this resurrection life in Paul and especially in the book of Ephesians. So, <clears throat> as we saw some of this stuff from Ezekiel 37 earlier, in the same chapter, chapter 37, God says to the, this dead body, of Israelites that have been raised from the dead and the bones are all brought together, Yahweh says, I will put my spirit within all y'all. Now remember, as we noticed last night, Paul keeps on saying all y'all. Because Paul is not talking about just individuals in Ephesians. He's talking about the group. I mean, that was, that was one of Don's most brilliant points tonight. We don't know what bodies are for. You know, it's, it's not, the Lord's Supper has nothing to do with my personal private time with God. It has to do with me and you and God being reconciled and being in loving fellowship with one another and loving the ambiance of God together and sharing that. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. Okay, And Paul's not all over the Corinthians because they weren't devotional. Paul's all over the Corinthians because they shamed the poor part of the body. That's why he's all upset. And he says, man, you shouldn't even come to the table. You should, you should just go to McDonald's. That's what you should do. If you, if you can't share this meal, and it's a real meal, with your, with your brothers and sisters, then don't even come to church. Because it's not about me, it's about us. It's about us. Because he's proclaimed shalom between us. I want you. We're dwelling in the same house. We're married. Husbands and wives are supposed to be like friends, right? It's like, I don't know anything about that, you know, because I'm like... 
I've been divorced by my harem so many times it's not even funny. I, I don't even know. But it's like, he says, I will put my spirit within all y'all. Within. And he says, and y'all shall live. Then, notice again that progression, then all y'all shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and act. After God has done something through the Spirit, we come to a knowledge of Yahweh. Now I want you to see how this comes out in, his, in Ephesians in a moment. So, let's look at this text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. <clears throat> I know Ephesians is in here somewhere. <clears throat> All right, Paul has already re referenced the spirit of promise in verse 13. So I'm going to pick up with verse 15. <clears throat> now, let's look at it. He says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, that your, by the way, is plural. I've heard of all y'all's love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for all of y'all, plural. I remember all of y'all in my prayers. I pray. This, this is what Paul prays for. Now, these people were already Christians, are they not? They're already believers. They've already been baptized. They've, they've already confessed their faith. So, this is amazing stuff. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the God that's speaking in Ezekiel, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give all of y'all the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As you come to know Him. Does your Bible say that? There's a reason for this. Now, God has already reconciled heaven and earth. God has already reconciled every human being on the planet. God has already reconciled all men and women on the planet. It's, there's, there's not a sin Bobby will ever commit. There's not a sin that the unborn will ever commit that Jesus hasn't already forgiven and died for. Okay? That, that's a fact. It's already done. So the problem is, is that we still struggle with the flesh. And so we need the power of the Spirit to know what God has done. Remember what Ezekiel just said. I'm going to put my spirit within you and then you shall know. And so the text says, I pray that the God and Father of glory may give all y'all the spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. Notice this. This is purpose language. So that. In order that. For the purpose that. The your eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will know something that you don't know merely by living and trusting your senses. That you're not going to walk according to what you already know, what, you're already, what your personal history is. 
You're going to walk according to something that you don't know. I'm praying that God will give you that spirit that raised the body from the dead in Ezekiel inside of you (coughs) so that you may know the hope to which you've been called, all of y'all, the group. And then the second thing, the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. Some of the most unloving people we meet sometimes are people in the church. And sometimes we look at somebody and we say, man, I have no idea what God, and I got this from Jesse last night, I have no idea what God might see in that person. You ever thought that before? But Paul, who is a Jew, a Pharisee, who has, man, if God doesn't have a sense of humor, I don't know what, he is a Pharisee who has been turned into the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? And Paul had to deal with all of this stuff himself. That you understand what is the riches of God's personal inheritance is. We have an inheritance, but so does God. God's inheritance, ours is the world. Jesus is going to inherit the world. The world was created for Him, and we are in Him. The meek will inherit the earth, and we will too with Him. But when we keep on going, God's inheritance is you and me. His glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, Paul is talking to Gentiles. You Gentiles need to understand just how rich God is in those Jews. Those different ethnic group than me. Those black people, those, those Chinese people, those Korean people, those, those, those Alabama people. You know? Or worse, those Auburn people. Amen? Man, I'm just telling you. He says, I'm praying that you get this. Because you're not going to get this by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to see something that only God can see. And we see it after our eyes have been healed by God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit fills us all. And I see God's glorious diversity, and I praise Him for it. In chapter 3, Paul prays almost the same thing, and the Spirit is a part of this. This is unity. I'm going to begin with verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth... Now remember, in chapter 1, verse 10... It just told us that all things in heaven and on earth have been united in Christ. You remember that? Again, Paul, you know, in the first century, they didn't have little Bibles and they didn't have little verses. Okay? So when they heard the book of Ephesians, they heard it from beginning to end. 
They, they just heard that stuff in chapter 1, and we, we may hear something in one chapter and never hear the stuff in the rest of the chapters for another 20 years. I, I really hate that. So context matters. Paul has already talked about this heaven and earth stuff. He already knows you know it, just like Tolkien knows when you're reading The Fellowship of the Ring or The Return of the King that you, you already know what took place. Not only just one book before, but two books before, right? You, you know that stuff. And so he says, listen to me. From whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name, I pray. This is, this is what Paul prays for. Sometimes our prayers don't quite match what Paul prays for, but he says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, that's God's, that he may grant that all of you, that you is plural, all of you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit and that Christ may dwell in all y'all's heart, not my personal heart, but all of you together. Christ will be with all of you together in all of y'all's hearts that through that power Christ will dwell in all of y'all together and Together, notice this, this, this is so powerful. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as all of you or all y'all are being rooted and grounded in love. As you're being rooted and grounded in love, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend together with all the saints how high and wide and deep is the love of God. And it is only when you see the person that once persecuted you and you hated, and now you can sit down at the table and eat with them, that is the demonstration of the new creation. That's the power of love. That's what we can't see but Paul's praying that we receive the gift of the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I see that the riches of God's love isn't my personal prayer time. It is that I see in you how much God loves me and you. Together with all the saints, I believe that you can experience God in a, on a tree stand. I believe that you can experience God in a sunset. I've done it. How many anybody else? I, I believe that you can do that. I believe that you can go out on the these beautiful beaches and look at the ocean. And for me, it's going out on Harley rides or or looking at the stars at night. I find that to be just such an amazing moment. I think we need to embrace those. But the Bible, almost from beginning to end, and Paul says it explicitly here, the greatest moments in your life is when you understand God's love together with other people because we are in the temple together. When we're in the temple where the Spirit is, we understand shalom. We know how high God's love is because it encompasses those Jews. We know how wide God's love is because it encompasses us Gentiles. 
lives. We know how deep God's love is because it pulls in those rich and poor and slaves and frees and all of us, and it brings down the barriers of hostility between us. That's the Spirit creating unity because we are one new human race in the temple of God. Isn't that kind of cool? Unity is a fact. It just is a fact. Okay? We, we, we don't need to argue about this. We don't need to discuss this. And I, I have had friends, some, some people get on my Facebook, you know, and some people say, well, I know you ever talk to that person. You know, it's like, well, because that person is my brother. That person is my sister. They may not know that. But that's not my fault. My job is to try to be that my eyes have been enlightened. And I'm going to act that way as much as I possibly can. And, you know, so I, my, Paul comes along and he says, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, he says, now you Gentiles, you, you, you're, you're now Israelites and, and your fellow heirs to, and with the saints and your citizens. And then he says, in chapter 3, verse 9, and notice he suddenly brings in this creator of all stuff. Oh, man, God, he says, is the creator of all things so that the church, that the ecclesia, the gathered people of God, becomes the demonstration of the wisdom of God and its rich variety, the wisdom of God's rich variety that people who don't look the same, people don't act the same, people don't sing the same songs, they don't have the same languages, they don't have the same colors. He says, but in the church... The riches of the variety of God's wisdom, the creator of all things, is on full display before the principalities and powers of this world. Because the principalities and powers of this world want us to fight. The principalities and powers of this world want us to hate one another. The principalities and powers of this world want me to see your color and see your ethnicity and see your language and be threatened by it. And Paul comes along and he says, Ah, in Christ, the church, the temple, this chapter 3, verse 1 and 3 and 9, comes right after the statement that we are together the dwelling place of God, where Shalom is. So he's describing the people who live in the temple. Are you all following me? He says, and now the people who live in the temple are the very people that God has created from the very beginning and man alive. There's a bunch of us that don't look the same. But not just us. Look at the birds and the butterflies and everything else. God, the creator of all things. He's got some serious wisdom, doesn't he? And it is the place where the variety, the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated by the diversity that is held together in unity through the power of the Spirit in the church. So what was the mystery was that Gentiles could be Israelites without becoming ethnic Israelites. That is, they didn't have to be circumcised. That was a mystery. That was something the Holy Spirit... Revealed to the apostles and prophets, Paul says. We already looked at that last night. And he says, the... the the mystery has been revealed that now they can be unified. 
But being unified does not mean that they are uniform. That's why we have male and female. God's Spirit in or among us to recognize the glory of God's wisdom in creating everything to the praise of our Creator. This is the role of the Spirit in creating unity. And it is so powerful. I grew up thinking that every one of us inside the church were supposed to think exactly the same thing, look exactly the same way. That, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here tonight, that is just flat unbiblical. It's not only unbiblical, it's, it's anti-biblical. The message of the gospel is that the diverse wisdom of God is on display inside the unified people of God to proclaim to the principalities and powers you can't rip us apart because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Peace. The church is supposed to be God's Garden of Eden. That's what it's supposed to be. Planted in this world. It is the first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. It's what we are. We have been raised and we're placed in the heavenlies. That, that language that Paul uses, that, that's temple language. We are seated with Christ in that wonderful heavenly place where He is now, living in this world. It's as if God is reaching through, and this is just an analogy, a... a um, a dimension, reaching through it and putting us down in this place and says, this is what I intend to do every single one of you if you will just let me do it. The church is God's advertisement. Unity, and I need to wrap up, again, is a fact. Unity... My commandment that Paul gives to you and me and any, any church that is a New Testament church, it is not my job to create unity. God already did it. God did it. The power of the Spirit, my job is to surrender to that so that we do not vandalize God's temple, the way Adam and Eve did. And we vandalize God's temple through division. My command that's given to me and all of us is to make every effort to maintain, not to create, to maintain the unity, the Holy Spirit, Spirit has created. That's what the unity of the Spirit means. It is the, the unity the Spirit created. When He 
chapter 2, verse 21, built us together, just like those bones in Ezekiel 37. And he brought them all together. They didn't do it themselves. He brought them all together. Every single brick, every single piece of mortar, every single thing that comes together. He built us, not me. He built us together through the Spirit to be the dwelling place of God. And now we have access to the Father through that Spirit. Isn't that good news? It's beautiful. It's my, it is just mind-blowing what Paul is saying here. I just, I'm, I'm not Don McLaughlin. I can't do this. This is just blows my mind, though. So we're going to end there. I thank you so much for coming out.